Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, good evening, and we are still physically in the Mizrahi Bet Midrash, which is very nice, and we are learning Parashat Vayera in Perak Kaf Aleph. Pasuk Chet is where we're up to. And Pasuk Chet says, the lad grew. It's interesting, it doesn't name him at this point. And he was weaned. And Avram made a big feast. On the day that he, uh, that Yitzchak, well, he weaned Yitzchak. Uh, didn't seem to make a big feast for the Brits, or at least that's not mentioned, which is our custom now, but he made a big feast for the weaning. Rashi says on Pasachet, on the word V'yigamal, L'sof esrim v'araba chodesh, after 24 months. That was the age at which Yitzchak was weaned. Now, it's interesting that Rashi says this, actually a machloket in the Gemara, in Sanhedrin Daf Samach, which is brought in the Shulchan Aruch Yoradea Pei Aleph Sif Zion. I haven't checked it today, that's why I know the numbers, Um, about when is the age for weaning or at what point is it improper for a child to still be suckling and there is a machloka whether it's 24 months or four or five years we actually pass in it's four or five years which is quite different from our practice today but rashi says in this particular case it was 24 months so either he is paskining like that opinion or he's just telling us what happened um, it is significant because it will possibly date um the events that are coming next uh Yark- but, uh, um, Yitzchak was born at age zero. He was born when his father was 100 and when his half-brother was 13. And if it's two years later, that makes Yishmael currently 15. Remember that. But there's another reason that Rashi might want to say that. And that is the slightly odd order of verbs in Pasuchet. Vayigdal. And then Vayigamal. He grew, grew big. Vayigdal. And then he was weaned. So if Rashi hadn't said it was after 24 months, you might think it was much later. And you might be curious as to what age it was. At what point had the Yeled got Gadol and then he was weaned. So Rashi tells us the answer to that is 24 months. And the next thing in that passage is the words Mishteh Gadol, which I translated as a big feast, which is how you normally translate it. But Rashi says no. Rashi says on the word Mishteh Gadol, Shahayu Sham Gadolei Hador. There were there the great ones of that generation. Shem, Eva, Avi Melech. Now, just briefly, Shem and Eva uh, haven't really been mentioned in the text. They are the son and the great-grandson of Noah, sorry, great-great-grandson of Noah. Um, and Shem and Eva, according to the Midrash, ran a yeshiva. Fascinating question, what did they teach before the Torah was given? But that's not for us now. Um, and we know that later on, Yaakov is going to spend 14 years according to Rashi in the yeshiva of Shem and Eva. But Rashi says that Shem and Eva are important people. Um, he has identified Malkitzedek as Shem, who met Abraham previously. Um, and Avimelech, interesting choice there, I, I find. Um, he is important. He's not very nice. He's the one who kidnapped Sarah and made a fuss about giving her back. Um, but he's important. He's a, he's a Choshev person. So that counts as Gedolei Hador. Now, what's interesting is Rashi avoids the obvious interpretation of Mishtegadol. What's the obvious interpretation of Mishtegadol? 
big feast you know with lots of food with lots of courses and catered by fine caterers why does Rashi avoid that well answer number one is it's not our business what Avram serves at his feast we're not interested in the gashmiot of how many courses there were what makes it a big feast so if it says a big feast we can say perhaps obviously it doesn't mean the menu it must mean something else but it's also the case that um I can think of at least two other examples. I can't say that. Uh, let's cover the whole of Tanakh because I can't say that. But at least two other examples where somebody makes a feast and we're immediately told whom it is for. One of them is in the Chumash Bereshit, so you've got it in front of you, and it is Peruk Mem, the very end of uh, Yeshev. Peruk Mem, Pasuk Kaf, where it says, who led it at Paro, Paro's birthday, the only one in the Torah who has a birthday recorded. He made a feast, and whom did he make it for? And the other example is in Megillat Esther, and that's when Achashverosh made a Mishte Gadol, that's perhaps even a clearer um, analogy to our case because it's a Mishnah Gadol, and they were immediately told for whom it is. So it could also be the case that Rashi feels that when you make a Mishnah, the Torah has to tell us whom it is for. So not the menu, but the guest list. And it doesn't say that here. So Rashi interprets Mishnah Gadol to say it does. Mishnah Gadol becomes a Mishnah Gadolim. And Rashi understands that's what makes it, that's what being talked about here. So we don't know how big it was. But we do know, according to Rashi, that it had hush of guests. Well, yes. Significance of why Abimelech is mentioned, like Shimon Eber, obviously uh, seemingly very hush of people. Wasn't Abimelech known as like? Bit dodgy. Yeah, like he seemed like he was a great guy, but not. I don't know. I, I ha didn't see an answer to that. Um, it's an interesting question. So um, maybe there are answers out there. Um, I assume, on the simplest level, he is a important political figure. He's king of Kera. And you can see from the incident with Abraham and Sarah, he's obviously powerful. Um, I, I, I don't know the deeper meaning. Um, it's interesting, actually, now I come to think about it. At the beginning of Toldot, Rashi brings, we talked about this last week, Rashi brings the Midrash that Yitzchak, uh, Abraham Olidet, uh, Yitzchak ben Abraham, Abraham Olidet Yitzchak, why the repetition? So people said that Sarah became pregnant from Avimelech, and Avimelech was actually Yitzchak's father. Um, and therefore Hashem made Yitzchak's face to exactly resemble Abraham. That's what it's meant by Yitzchak ben Abraham. But then Abraham holidet Yitzchak. Everyone knew that Abraham was the father of Yitzchak. So it's just, just occurs to me a little bit interesting, but at the weaning feast, there is the, the person whom other people ascribe the paternity to. Just makes it interesting. But uh, I haven't got any deeper reason for that. Okay, then we come on to Pasuk Tet. Um, and I think I want to do Tet and Yud together. So let's read the, the Pesukim. The Tera Sarah et Ben Hagar HaMitzrit asher yalda Avraham metzachik. Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Avraham, metzachik. Now, metzachik, uh, Rashi's going to talk quite a lot about what that means, but let's call it laughing or scoffing. And then the Tomela Abraham, she said to Abraham, Garesh Ha'ama Hazot Ve'et Bana, drive out this maidservant and her son, Kilo Yirash Ben Ha'ama Hazot 
because this, the son of this maidservant, will not inherit in Bani in Yitzchak, with my son, with Yitzchak. Interestingly, this is directly related to Rashi, um, the name of the son is not mentioned in those two Pesukim. Um, and in fact, it's not mentioned for a while. In fact, it's not mentioned in the whole parak. I just noticed that. I didn't notice that before. In the whole parak, he's the Nar or the Ben Ha'ama, the whole way through. Now, of course, we know his name is Yishmael, but he's not mentioned. And it, actually, that makes sense because the whole thrust of the narrative in Pasuk Tet and Sarah's words in Pasuk Yud is that he is not on the same level as my son Yitzchak. He is Ben Ha'ama. He's the son of the maidservant. Doesn't even get an identity. He's just the son of the maidservant. Um, the next thing that's interesting, Rashi's going to tell us something about the word Metzachik. But who, if anybody, should be being Metzachik in this story? Well, I would say Yitzchak. Why? Because he's named Yitzchak. He will laugh. Um, and yet he's not the one who's being Metzachik. In fact, there's the word Sachok appears a few times in Pasha Beira, um, when Lot told his sons-in-law that Saddam was going to be destroyed. They didn't pay attention because they thought he was Metzachik. So everyone's laughing except Yitzchak. Although in Parsha Tolda, there is a moment when he is Metzachik, but we'll mention that later. Now, so Rashi's got a lot to say on Metzachik. And he says, Lashon Avodazara, Kemoshen Emar. First of all, it's an expression of idolatry, as it says, and he brings a pasuk, and he's going to say it refers to three different sins. You might guess which sins. And he brings a pasuk for each one to show the word sachok is somehow related to that particular misdemeanor. So we have in Shemot Peret Namabet, Pasuk Vav, Vayakumu They got up to tzachek. And that's referring to the Bnei Israel when they built the Egel, and they got up to worship it, and the verb used is tzachek. So says Rashi, and it's based on a Midrash, that we can see Metzachek is related to Tzachek in the uh, Egal, it's an expression of Odazara. Now, in some editions, it now says Devar It shouldn't. Um, in that, Master um, Cook, does it say Devar Acher, sir? Okay, there is a debate whether it should say Devar uh, I said it shouldn't, because that seems to be the consensus, but Master Cook probably know what they're doing. Anyway, this, the second one is Loshon Gilui Arayot. It's an expression of immorality. Uh, sexual immorality. That is from and that is Potiphar complaining about Yosef, whose advances, uh, uh, she, he had just uh, rejected her advances, and then she makes a fuss, and she claims to be the injured party, and she says, our hus my husband brought this Hebrew into our house to mock me. And she's referring to basically she's accusing him of sexually assaulting her. So we can say that Tzachek also refers to Gilurayot. Devar another expression. Again, some would have this Devar in and some would not. Lashon Retzicha. It's an expression of murder. Kamo. And we find that the word Tzachek, almost the word Tzachek, referring to a, an act of murder in a um, battle which was staged between. Um, Avner and Yoav, Avner representing um, Ishboshet and Yoav representing David, uh, while the, there was basically a civil war going on. And, and they said to each other, Yukumu na Arim, 
let the lads get up and literally play before us, but the playing meant killing each other. So tzachak with a sin is similar to tzachak with a tzadik. We see that uh, connection many times. So that pasuk also is related to the word tzachak and it's a reference to murder. Okay, it's obvious that these three sins, which Rashi says the word tzachak is related to, are the three cardinal yerog v'yaravor sins, die rather than transgress. So it's really bad. What Ishmael is doing is really bad. The Ramban takes Rashi to task and says, these three opinions are found in the Midrash in the name of three different Tanayim, and they are arguing with each other. So the way the Midrash reads, it's one of those three. We don't know which one, it's a machloket, but it's not all three. So the Ramban says, why does Rashi list all three? And this, this is relevant to the Dvar Is Rashi, the, the significance of whether Dvar appears there or not, is Rashi saying there are three different options or is it all three? Uh, and it seems, and that's why I said the Vacher shouldn't be there, it seems that it is all three. And it's interesting. Rashi is, this is another example of how Rashi brings a Midrash, but edits it for his own purposes. The Midrash has three different opinions about what happened. Rashi's answering a different question, always. Rashi's answering what's pshat, what's the meaning of the word? What is Ishmael doing, which the Torah describes as Matzachik? And Rashi thinks he's doing all three. Now, why does he have to say that? Why does he have to say anything? Why don't we just translate Mitzachek as playing, which is what it commonly means? And the answer to that is, and that's why I wanted to see Pasuk Yud as well, is Sarah's response. When Sarah sees him playing, uh, sorry, if Sarah were just to see him playing, that would not explain why Sarah says, drive out this, uh, this maidservant and her son. Sarah obviously sees something very, very serious. So Rashi concludes it's not Mitzachek as in playing, it's Mitzachek as in something very serious. How serious? As serious as the three cardinal sins. Having said that, I will mention that the Malaman Lahoyal, not Malaman Lahoyal, the Muscular David, sorry, Malaman Lahoyal is something completely different. The Muscular David does say that there's three separate answers and explains why we need three of them or why, why Rashi needs to bring all three. He says, Obviously, Avodazar is the worst of all. So that goes as number one. That's the first thing he's mentioned. But then he mentions Gilo Arayot because of a particular word in Pasuk Tet. And the word is the word Mitzrit, Egyptian. Now, Chazal often say that the morality of the Egyptians was really, really low in terms of sexual immorality. So why does the Torah mention in Pasuk Tet the fact that Hagar was a Mitzrit? Why is that relevant? Says the muscular David, that is, that, that is a reference to, or a reference to, the Gilua Rayot, the uh, section of morality. And why does he also need to talk about the Ratzicha? Because that, as we will see in the next Pasuk, and Rashi there, is what really drives Sarah to act. We'll, we'll come back to that point when we see what Rashi has to say on Pasuk Yud. Um, next thing to say is, you could ask, if Ishmael is doing such terrible things, first of all, actually, in the words of the Midrash, uh, the first opinion says Avodah Zorah, and the second opinion says, how could it possibly be that Avodah Zorah is taking place inside the house of Abraham? That couldn't be. So maybe you can say it's not quite Avodah Zorah, and that's why the word Metzachek is used. In all three sins, Metzachek implies some sort of play. So it's not quite fully fledged Avodah Zorah. He's sort of playing Avodah Zorah, playing Gilarat, 
and playing Shvichadamim. Shvichadamim, as we'll see in the next passage also, is, is what he's playing. So maybe Metzachek implies that it's not quite literally the three big sins, which would require much a much sterner response. Um, I mean, it's like it's slightly anachronistic to talk about applying the punishments of the Torah in this case, but the punishment for Avodah is death, and the punishment for Gilead is death. So the punishment is not just telling him to leave the house. So if he's actually committing these Avodah, it's a little bit strange to say that Sarah only says, just send him away. Um, if he's doing much less, it also doesn't make sense that Sarah says, send him away. So we have a, a sort of middle ground that he's doing these sins, but maybe he's not doing them in 100% of the way. It's also worth pointing out his age at this point. And that's why I mentioned earlier. Um, the Ramban quotes a Midrash that he was 17 at the time. Rashi doesn't give Yishmael's age, but we can work it out. Uh, there's, another, there's another question about the relationship between Pasuk Chet and Pasuk Tet. When Sarah sees Yishmael doing whatever he's doing, is that at the time of the feast? Or is it a different time? It's not clear. If it's the time of the feast, then Rashi would be saying he is, how old, anyone with me? 15, which you know gives some degree of culpability, but perhaps not that of a full adult. Um, there, there, it could be still that Rashi would not disagree with the Midrash that the Ramban quotes. Uh, and if you say that Pasuk Tet is the party and Pasuk Tet is two years later, that could still be that even Rashi would agree that Ishmael is 17. Why do you get two years? Like, is that two years arbitrary? Or? That was the four, two, two years of the yeah, weaning. Like, how do you get to 17? Like, two years from... Yeah, that would be arbitrary. Yeah. That, I'm working backwards from the Midrash. Okay. okay. Um, well, later on, to hopefully this week, we'll get a little bit of a clue as to how old Yishmael might have been. But um, from another perspective, we'll come to that. Okay. Now, in Pasuk Yud, we see Sarah's response to the things that Yishmael is doing. And he says, um, and by the way, there are, uh, some of you might be confused here because there are some texts of Rashi which put part of what we're gonna see in Yud back into Tet. And I'll explain the relevance of that when we get there. So she says, uh, Her concern is that Yishmael should not be inheriting with Yitzchak, but maybe it's broader than that. Says Rashi on the words imbeni. Mitashugat Sarah from the answer of Sarah, where she says, Kilo Yirash Ben Hazot Imbeni, that the son of this maidservant will not inherit with my son. Ata Lomed Shahaya Meriv im Yitzchak al Hayirusha. You learn that he, Ishmael, was arguing with Yitzchak about Yerusha, about the inheritance from Abraham. The Omer, and he said, Ishmael said, Ani bachor, I am the firstborn, and I will take the double portion. So in Jewish law, the firstborn gets twice as much as the other sons. So you could say Ishmael is arguing and he wants a share of the wealth, a bigger share of the wealth. But of course, being firstborn, as we know from Yitzchak and Esau, from Yaakov and Esau, is also symptomatic of who's actually inheriting not just the money, but the legacy of their father, who's the prime son. And it also, what Rashi's just said there, explains, uh, relates to Sarah's reaction. He is not on the level of Yitzchak. He is not to be considered a fully-fledged legitimate son because he is Ben Ha'ama. So Rashi translates that as to an argument between Yishmael and Yitzchak over who has the primary status. It's equivalent to saying, is 
Ishmael's mother a fully-fledged wife of Abraham? Because if she is, then he's the firstborn. And Sarah is saying, no, she's not. She is just an Amash. She's just a maidservant. So what I'm trying to say is, when in the Pasuk, Sarah speaks the language of Ben HaAmah Hazot, in the Rashi, Yishmael speaks the language of I'm the firstborn, and they're equivalent, or rather they're talking about the same thing. They're not equivalent, they're the opposite. But Shara is saying he's not the firstborn because he's the Ben HaAmah Hazot. He's just the son of the maidservant. Now, continues Rashi. Um, they, that's Yitzchak and Yishmael, go out in the field. And he takes his bow. Yishmael takes his bow. He's an archer, as we know. And he shoots arrows. Like it says, and he quotes a passage from Mishlein, like somebody who's mad and throws firebrands. And if you've got more of the passage, again, it goes, and arrows. And the, and the next passage says, the Omar Halo Ani. And he says, the, this, this archer who's firing these arrows says, I am playing. I'm making a joke. Um, I'm not really meaning to hurt anybody. So Rashi says that uh, Yitzchak, Yishmael is trying to kill Yitzchak and trying to claim that he's just playing. They're just two boys playing with bows and arrows. But really, Yishmael is trying to kill Yitzchak because he wants the Yerusha, he wants the inheritance, and he doesn't want Yitzchak to take any. Uh, again, by the way, in the Pasuk, we have Mesachik Ani, I am playing, which sounds like an echo of Metzachik, which is what Yishmael is doing. Is that why this um, version has it in the, in the, in the, as a commentary on the Pasuk of Teth? Okay, that's one possibility, if, if Mesachik is really uh, a clear reference to Metzachik, but it also leads to another question, and I don't have an answer to this, there's two ways of reading what Rashi is doing. Rashi said in uh, Tet, the Metzachet made three things. Avodazara, and Gilu Arayot, and Shvichat Damim. Ah, and the question is, and there's really two ways of reading this. Either, there's two stories here, or, or I, one story, but two episodes. Episode one, Ishmael is a really bad guy, he's doing the three cardinal sins. Episode two, he's also fighting with Yitzchak and even trying to kill him. Or, and this, this relates to what you just asked, if the, the texts that put this comment of Rashi in Pasuk Tet, it's better to read it as, this is the exemplification of sin number three. This is the example of Shri Chodam, which also, I've just realized now, actually relates to what I said a moment ago, that maybe it's all in the context of Metzachet, which means playing. If you say that the Shri Chodamim is Ishmael firing arrows at Yitzchak and saying, I'm only playing, but he's not really killing. He's like engaged in killing, but he's not actually killing anybody. Maybe that would extend back to the Avodah Zarah and the Gilariath as well. Uh, or if you say it's totally separate, then you don't have to say that. Then he's a fully-fledged idolater, um, sexual deviant and um, uh, murderer. And also he's throwing arrows at, uh, at Yitzchak. Um, it also explains, and this I, I, I saved off the, the, uh, the muscular David's third point. Um, I said, the muscular David says why Rashi needs to bring all three sins. So Avodazara, if he's guilty of that, that's the, that must be mentioned because it's the worst. Gilu'era, because of the word Mitzrit. And why does he, Rashi need to say Shri Chodamim? Because that explains Sarah's concern. And the way Rashi explains in Pasuk Yud, at least what I'm reading in Pasuk Yud, um, also explains something else. Why did Sarah wait until this point? If he's an idolater, 
presumably he's been an idolater for, for a period of time. He should have been chucked out a long time ago or, or um, punished, chastised in some way. So you could say that Sarah understands that he's an idolater and a Baal Gilu Erayat, and that's really bad, but she's not worried that that will impact on Yitzchak. Yitzchak is uh, brought up in the right way. He's got the right parental influences. He's not going to be drawn after Yishmael's bad traits. But when you get to Shvi Chadamim, if you say the Shvi Chadamim, the murder is directed against Yitzchak, that explains Sarah's concern. At that point, Sarah says, I can't have this anymore because now Yitzchak is in physical danger. He's not in spiritual danger. He's now in physical danger because Yishmael is trying to kill him. And therefore he must go. And that all comes out of her words. Kilo Yirash ben Ha'ama hazot imbeni im Yitzchak. He's a ben Ha'ama. He will not inherit together with Yitzchak. Therefore, he must go. He must be separated. And Rashi translates that into actual concern for Yitzchak's life and that Ishmael was trying to end that. Is the pasuk from Mishlei, is that meant in the context of Mishlei, is that a direct reference to this? Because it seems very... I don't think so. Like a very accurate depiction. I no, I don't think so. I think it's an accurate depiction of anyone who says, "I'm just making a joke," when they're really not. Which unfortunately is very common. But Rashi describes them going out to the field. Yep. And he would shoot arrows at Yitzhak, and then it's just like that pasuk about the person who shoots things and says, "I was doing." Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I read it. Now, the next thing Rashi says is on the words "imbeni im Yitzhak. What's the problem there? It's repetition. Um, I refer you to this week's Sedra um, in Vayetse, where the messengers are sent to Asov and they come back and they say, sorry, Vayishlach. The messengers, we are on Vayishlach, yes. And the messengers say, come back, uh, in Perak Lamad Bet, Pasuk Zion. And they say, Banu el el We came to your brother to Esau. And Rashi senses the repetition there. And he says, Shahayita Omer, you, the messenger say to Yaakov, you said, Achihu, he's my brother, Aval But in fact, he's behaving with you like Esau Russia, not like a brother. He still hates you. Um, so Rashi says, Achi, Esau is two aspects of the same person. Yes, he is a brother, but he's acting like Esau. Now, look at what Rashi does here. It's not the same thing, but it's the same sort of question. So, Imbani Im Yitzchak must, there's a repetition there that must be explained. So Rashi says, this is in the words of Sarah, since he is my son, even if he's not worthy like Yitzchak i.e. I would still want Yishmael to be sent away. Or, or if he were righteous like Yitzchak, even if he's not my son. This one, Yishmael, is not fitting to inherit with this one, with Yitzchak. How much more so, with my son, with Yitzchak, both qualities are in him. He is my son, which is why I don't want this bad guy growing up with him. And he is the great and wonderful Yitzchak, which is why I don't want this guy growing up with him. By the way, I said this, it might be that Yitzchak at this moment is two years old. So he's obviously showing great signs of 
great Sidkut, even at the age of two, can be. And especially if you're one of the patriarchs, maybe that's what you'd expect. If, however, you say that Pasuk Tet is a little bit after Pasuk Tet, can't be too much after, the Midrash would say it's two years after, then the Yitzchak might be a little bit older. The Midrash would make him four. Uh, maybe he could be older still, although there will be a problem coming if that's the case. Um, he's, he's, he's young. He's young. And nevertheless, according to Rashi, Sarah recognizes him as Hagon, as in fitting, as in as in good. Okay. So, yes, please. So many times I'm also about this repetition because to get rid of the doubters and whatever. But that happened quite a few times, and like Rashi just went past that line. Like, why can't this also be just another example to reassure or affirm that understanding that Yitzhak was Sarah's son? Um, I don't know. Let me just think about that. So I actually quoted tonight. I'm just talking to get my thoughts in order. The beginning of Pasha Toldot, um, where it says that there was a doubt that Abraham was the father of Yitzchak. So that's why it says Abraham. It doesn't. It, it doesn't just in, in that case there. When Rashi says on the words Abraham Lidi Yitzchak, he doesn't just say the Torah comes to emphasize it. He's saying the Torah uh, that Hashem did something. It was an action which was in order to refute the, uh, those who were slandering. I.e., in the case of Toldot, it says that, Rashi says that Hashem made Yitzchak's face look like the face of Abraham. And that's what Abraham Alida Yitzchak means. It's not just the Torah is emphasizing it just to set us straight. The Torah is referring, going to Rashi, to something that was done in order to set us straight. So the other example, we talked about this last week, was when, um, Sarah was able to nurse all the babies who came to the uh, uh, the um, which Rashi mentioned uh, here in Pasuk Zion and uh, he mentioned previously in Parshat uh, Lechacha same thing told Ted slightly differently we talked about that last week again um, the Rashi says there was a doubt and there was an action, there was, a, there was an event in order to remove the doubt. So here also, it's not just, so I, I, I reject your premise slightly. It's not just that the Torah repeats things just to stress. It's, that's not actually what we see. It's a bit more complex than that. So here also, um, presumably it's not just the Torah speaking, it's Sarah speaking. So Rashi's interpreting Sarah's words as part of Sarah's expression. So again, this is another response to what you said. I don't think Sarah would be just doubling the words to emphasize, but Sarah, according to Rashi, is doubling words for a particular reason. Then we find to Pasuk um, Yud Aleph. The thing was very bad in the eyes of Abraham. Now, Al-Odot is, I think, translated often as on account of his son. So... What exactly was bad in the eyes of Abraham? So Rashi brings two opinions. Interestingly, he gives the Midrash first and the Bashat second. Sometimes he does that, but it is significant. So on the words, Al Adot Beno, Al Shashama Shiyatsa Latarbut Ra'ah. Because he heard, Abraham heard, that he had gone, Ishmael had gone to bad culture. If Sarah is so concerned, about Ishmael's behavior, Abraham is concerned about Ishmael's behavior, and he's sad about Ishmael's behavior. Upshuto, and the simple meaning, al amra lo l'shalcho, because she said to him to send him. Sarah said to Abraham that 
Abraham should send uh, Ishmael away. And that was bad in his eyes. So what so Rashi brings these two opinions. Why does Rashi bring two opinions? What's the significance of the two opinions? So obviously there's, there's a big difference. According to the first one, Rashi, uh, Abraham is concerned at Ishmael's behavior, um, but presumably he agrees with the consequence of Ishmael's behavior. He's sad at Ishmael's actions, but therefore the sending him away is what has to be done. According to the second explanation, it's quite different that even though Abraham has been told that Ishmael is going in very bad ways, nevertheless, he is sad. It's, it's bad that he has to send him away. So the second opinion seems to present Abraham as more of a merciful father. And the second one is more of a disciplinary, sorry, the first one, more of a disciplinarian sort of father. But let's look at the text. Um, it seems to me that there's a part of the, the, the problem well, first of all, the words aladot beno are superfluous. It could be, uh, Sarah says to Abraham, send him away. That would all, all needed. So aladot beno cries out, expound me. So Rashi expounds it. Um, if Rashi, and I think this is the key to Rashi's first explanation, even though he says it's not Midrash, it's not Pshat. It's, well, he doesn't say it's Midrash, but by, by elimination it is. Um, Sarah has asked him to send away how many people? Two. Two people. And yet only one of them is mentioned in Pasuk Yud Aleph. So if he were concerned about sending away, then it wouldn't say Aladot Beno, it would say Aladot Ama or Hagar, the Bena. And it doesn't, it just says Aladot Beno. So maybe that leads to the first explanation that he's concerned about his son, not in terms of sending away, because sending away would have to include. Um, uh, Hagar as well, but he's concerned about the son. What's what's the relevance about the son? Therefore, it's the son's behavior. That's what he's upset about. And then according to the Pshat, he wouldn't be just upset about the son's behavior. He would be upset about what he's just been told to do. Now, the other thing about the Pshat is that it makes the link between Yud and Yud Aleph much stronger. And that's what we'd normally expect. And sorry, to get to the punchline, that's why I think Rashi calls it the Pshat because the Pshat of Yud Aleph is it follows straight on from Yud. In Yud, he's been told to send away Hagar and Yishmael, and in Yud Aleph, he's upset about that. What's that? Presumably what he's just been told to do. So that's why Rashi calls it the Pshat. And then as a result, as a consequence of Yud Aleph, in Yud Aleph, Abraham is upset. So in Yud Bet, Vayome Elohim El Abraham. Hashem said to Abraham, Al yera be'enecha, al hana'ar va'al amotecha. Don't be upset in your eyes about, don't let it be bad in your eyes about the lad and about your servant, your maidservant. So interestingly, even though Pasigud Aleph only refers to the son, Hashem, when he speaks to him, refers to both, um, which fits better with the second Peshat, I suppose, that Abra, in Yud Aleph, that Abraham's upset about sending them both away. Although I do notice that in the second Peshat in Yud Aleph, it's Alsha Amra Lo Shalcho, that Sarah had said to Abraham to send him. So even according to the second Peshat, it's more focused on him rather than the maidservant as well, which I suppose is the Peshat in Aladot Beno in Yud Aleph. It's referring to the son alone. Anyway, so I hope you got all the significance of what I was just saying there. But anyway, in Yud Bet, Elohim says to Abraham, Al kol asher toma Sarah, shema All that Sarah says to you, listen to her voice. 
כי ביצחק יקרא לך זרע. Because in Yitzchak will be called to you seed, i.e. descendants. Yitzchak will be the father of your special nation, the Jews. It won't come from Yishmael, it will come from Yitzchak. And therefore, it's okay, and maybe even more than okay, maybe appropriate to send away Yishmael as Sarah says. So Hashem says, listen to her voice. And Rashi says on the word Shema Bakola, Bakol Ruach HaKodesh Shabbat, the voice of the Ruach HaKodesh, which is in it. Lamadnu, this teaches us, Shahaya Avraham Tafel Lasara Benevi'ut. This teaches us that Abraham was subsidiary to Sarah in prophecy. Why does Rashi say that? So two possibilities. Number one, on the words of Shema Bakola, which Rashi is commenting on, don't just listen to her, listen to her voice. And Rashi says, a voice is not just like a, a larynx operating. The voice refers to the Ruach HaKodesh Shabbat, which is expressed in the voice. So it's not listen to her, but listen to the voice which is channeling what Hashem is saying, because that's Nevi'ut, that's prophecy. Um, the other thing to note is the word kol. He says, kol asher toma Sarah. Everything that Sarah says to you, listen to her voice. And if it's everything that Sarah says, that would be, be because she knows more about what I Hashem want than you do, because she is a great, or you are tafel, you are subsidiary to her in prophecy. Just one moment. There is a big problem with this. There's a big problem with this. Because Abraham has all these chats with God. Abraham is told great things by God. is the first, and then more, and then finally he's going to be told to uh, take the ultimate test. Clearly he's quite a novi. And um, Abba Hashem said to Abimelech, Ki navihu, he is a navi, he's defined as a navi. He seems to reach great heights of Nevoah. We don't find Sarah reaching great heights of Nevoah. Indeed, there's one particular case where Sarah completely miss, you know, got the wrong end of the stick. When she laughs, when she told she's going to have a child, she doesn't believe it. So it's very hard to say that she is a greater Navi than him. So there's two ways you can go. Number one, to say, despite all that, she is. The Torah doesn't tell us everything that happens. The Torah tells us about the Nevoah that he got. Maybe the Torah doesn't tell us about the Nevoah she got on a regular basis. That's absolutely possibility one. Possibility two is that Hashem or Rashi is talking about this particular moment. In this particular moment where Sarah knows what to do and you, Abraham, are not sure what to do, this particular moment, listen to her. You'd have to say, Kol, Asher, Toma, Elecha, doesn't mean everything she ever says to you, but everything she says to you in this regard, you have to listen to her voice because in this regard, she is a greater Navi than you. Yes. Um, in that, this explanation, I mean, just in the puzzle of what Hashem says to Abraham is a little bit weird. Considering if you assume that Abraham's upset, meaning that he has to send him away, I mean, I assume that that meant because he likes his son, he's going to miss his son. But this is, seems to present him more as well, he's concerned that he's going to miss out on his legacy, that his legacy may have come from Ishmael, and Hashem's reassuring him, don't worry, it's going to come from Yitzhak. And there's no sense of affection there. Interesting. So you're saying, and I, I hear why you say this, and partly because of what I said, that ki b'yitzchak yikare l'chazera is the answer. This is why it's okay to send away Yishmael. Um, you could read it. So, so you're saying it, it's not, if that's the reassurance, 
happens to Avram, he was worried, was Yishmael going to be the ancestor of part of his people? Um, and maybe therefore Yishmael should stay with him. But then he's reassured, it's okay, it's all going to come from Yitzchak, and therefore don't worry about it anyway, Yishmael. Which implies, I'm sorry, just rephrasing what you said, repeating what you said, which implies that Avram's great concern in Pasuk Yodalev was maybe Yishmael is going to be the ancestor of descendants, and that's why I don't want to send him away. Uh, to which I would say, yes, that's quite possible. Or you could say, when Hashem says, Ki slightly differently from how I said it before, because Yitzchak is going to be the ancestor of the Jewish people, therefore it's appropriate that he grows up in a pristine environment without having his half-brother influencing him or trying to kill him. Okay, so it's not, be rest assured, Yitzchak will be the ancestor, but rather because Yitzchak will be the ancestor, that's why you've got to send him away. So now we move on to Yod Gimel, and there's nothing to say of Rashi, but we'll read it anyway. Um, even though Yitzchak in Pasuk Yudbet will be the ancestor of your descendants, don't worry about Yishmael. And this perhaps relates to what you said. This perhaps just reassure Abraham who's concerned about Yishmael. Legoi Asimeno, I will make him a nation. Kizarachahu, because he is your descendant. Interesting is that I've never noticed before, I'm noticing it right now. A clear contrast between Yudbet and Yud and Yud Gimel. Yudbet, they're both Sarah. They're both descendants. But Yitzchak is going to be the future generations will be called after Yitzchak. Yishmael is also going to be a nation. That's great. But he's not going to be your nation. He's your son, but his nation will not be your nation. Whereas Yitzchak is your son and his descendants will be your descendants. That's the contrast. That's the, that's the cleavage that they're going their separate ways. Okay, Yudal. Vayash came Avraham Baboka. Avraham got up early in the morning. When else did he get up early in the morning? Uh, yes, that's true. Actually, I wasn't thinking about that one, but that's true. The Akeda. By the way, we're now reading the laning for the first day of Rosh Hashanah. On the second day of Rosh Hashanah, we read the laning of the Akeda. There's a tiny gap in the middle, which we don't lane, but basically, this is story one, followed very closely by story two. And the parallels are amazing. Um, and we'll get to some more later. But the very fact that in both cases, he's putting one son at tremendous risk in on the first day, what we're reading now, it's sort of life and death, as we will see, for Yishmael. And the next time it's life and death for Yitzchak. Just to complete the, uh, I suppose, irony. According to Rashi, I'm jumping way ahead now. According to Rashi, who accompanied Abraham and Yitzchak at the Akeda? Yishmael, Yishmael. Yishmael Eliezer. It's not in the text, it's in Rashi. So Rashi says that Yishmael was there when Yitzchak's life was uh, hanging, just like Yishmael was there when Yishmael's life was hanging. All right, so Abraham got up early in the morning in both cases. And what did he do? He took bread, the chemat mayim, and a skin full of water, the yetain el hagar, and he gave to hagar some al shikmah placed on her shoulder, the et hayelet and the child, the yeshal checha, and he sent her, the telech, the teita, the midbar. And she went and got lost in the desert, Beersheba, of Beersheba. Right. Rashi says, lechem vechemat maim, bread and a flask of water. Velo kesev and not 
uh, money, sorry, not silver and gold. Because he hated him. Because he had gone to bad culture. Uh, same as uh, Rashi said in Yud Aleph. Um, why? What's Rashi's problem? Yes. Okay, do we have to say that this Rashi follows one Shita and one Shita only in Yud Aleph? So obviously it fits nicely with the first Shita in Yud Aleph. He was concerned, because his son had got the Tarbut Ra, same words. Can we fit it with the second opinion? The second opinion being he was concerned about sending him away. I think we can, but we have to have a slightly nuanced uh, synthesis. He's concerned about sending him away. There's something uncomfortable about sending him away, but he still, well, to use Rashi's word, and we're going to come back to this word because I think we have to explain it better, son of, he still hates him. So what Rashi's really saying is he gives him some stuff, but he doesn't give him more stuff. He gives him bread and water, but he doesn't give him money. That's what Rashi's saying. Now, but, but let's go back to the very sort of basic stuff. Why does Rashi say this? What's the problem in the Pasuk? Makashela Rashi. What's a problem in the Pasuk is that it specifies some items on a list. What would you normally expect the Torah to say? He gave him what he needs, Seidel Aderach, food for the journey. He gave him, or, or not mention it at all. The fact that it mentions two things implies that those two things is the comprehensive list. That's the totality. And once it says that bread and water is the totality, then we ask, why not more stuff? Why not a little bit of pocket money to like, get him going until at least he gets to the train station or whatever? So the fact that the Torah lists two things implies the exclusion of other things. So Rashi has to explain why the other things are excluded. Now, the word sono, uh, I think, is problematic. And I think it relates to the same word in the parasha we just read yesterday. What am I thinking of? Leah. What does it mean Leah was hated? Right? It means that Leah was loved less than Rachel. Now, I don't think that's a radical interpretation. I think that's the obvious interpretation. We don't suggest that Leah Imenu was hated. We don't suggest that Yaakov was a hater. So, but he loved Leah less than Rachel. That's clear. So I think it works here as well, that he didn't hate in the sense that we understand uh, Yishmael, but he loved him less than Yitzchak. Why did he love him less than Yitzchak? Because he went in bad ways. And that's obviously a problem for Abraham, who wants to spread the words of ethical monotheism to the world. For his own son to go in the wrong direction, that's obviously a problem. So I think Sona'o means he loved him less than Yitzchak. Okay, the next coat of Rashi is on the words Veta Yelet. Now, you can see why I've sort of structured this shir. I've actually led up to this point. I've focused quite a little bit on the age of Yishmael at this time. Minimum, he was 13. They cannot be younger than 13. Why can't he be younger than 13? Because well, that's how he old he was when Yitzchak was born. The Midrash says he was 17. Rashi doesn't say explicitly, maybe 15, maybe 17. Not clear. And yet the Torah calls him a yellow, which is interesting. More than that, well, the next thing is what Rashi's comment is. The Eta Yeled, Af HaYeled Sam Al Shikma. Also, the child he placed on her shoulder. Now, I'm going to pause there because Rashi's going to give reasons why he wasn't walking. So even if he's only 13, you'd expect him to walk. He wasn't walking. But what's Rashi doing? Rashi is answering a very simple problem in the Pasuk. If you let's look at the words again. What did he put on her shoulder? 
bread and water. Clearly, he gave them to uh, Hagar and he put them, on, I, I've added the word and, he put them on her shoulder. Then you have the word, then you have the word, he sent her. What's the problem with What about it? Was it on her shoulder? Was he also giving her? Was he giving her bread and water and put it on her shoulder? Or was he giving her, uh, sorry, putting, giving her bread and water and putting it on her shoulder? And there's also the child. Or was he giving her bread and water and put it on her shoulder? And the child is also with the put on her shoulder. That's the ambiguity. And Rashi answers it by saying, Also, the child he put on her shoulder. And at this point, I have to say, whether he was 13 or 17, it's quite hard to put a child on the shoulder of his mother, but he did. Now, Rashi, maybe perhaps he's sensitive to what I just said, said there's a reason why the child goes on the shoulder. And, and Rashi, I think, takes as obvious that he's not a little child who can't walk or can't walk long distances, because we all know the Chumash. We know he's older than that. So Rashi has to explain why he's put on the shoulder. And the answer is this. Sarah put the ayin ra'ah, which we translate as the evil eye, and some people have this sort of superstition, and we don't understand what it is. But Sarah has some power to impose illness on other people. And a fever took hold of him. And he was not able to walk on his legs. And we may not get there tonight, but in Pasuk uh, soon, Pasuk soon, yeah, well, the next Pasuk, the next Pasuk also makes reference to him being ill. We probably will get there tonight. Um, so Rashi realizes he's not a little child, for sure. He's a teenager of some age, so he should be able to walk. So why is he being put on her shoulder? Uh, because he can't walk because Sarah has made him ill. Um, and his illness will become relevant again soon. Just by the way, um, I think everyone lists this as one of the tests of Abraham, one of the 10 tests. So even though there was justification in sending Ishmael away, even though Hashem told him to do it, even though it was the right thing to do, it was still a test for Abraham. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure my translation of Sotno is correct. I don't think he hated him in our sense, he realized there was a problem, but he didn't hate him. Now, what we've just read actually expands the nature of the test, because if he's not well, it makes it much harder to send him out into the desert. It might've been appropriate to say to Sarah, listen, the kid's not well, let him rest for a few days and then we'll send him away. Sending him when he's not well out into the desert could be very, very dangerous. In fact, had Hashem not intervened, it would have been very dangerous. So why does Avram do it? Because Hashem told him to. Because in Yud, Bet, Hashem said, this is what you've got to do. So it becomes a fulfillment of Hashem's instruction, perhaps similar to the Akedah, where there's no doubt Abraham does love Yitzchak. Um, and it just occurs to me, when Hashem says to Abraham at the Akedah, take your son whom you love, Rashi says, why does, Abraham, why does Hashem have to give all these details? Your son, your only son, whom you love, Yitzchak, because Abraham would say, my son, I have two sons. Your only son, they're both only sons to their mother. Whom you love, says Abraham, according to Rashi, I love both of them. Which I think is a clear proof to my interpretation of Sono here. So just as at the Akedah, he's told to put 
Yitzchak's life in danger. He is basically being told to put Yishmael's life in danger. Um, and that the fact that he's ill and going out into the desert magnifies that. Okay. Real quickly, Christy, why do, like, I, remember, I remember Moshe sometimes changes between Na'am and Yelel. Um, like, in the verse, which obviously you say Yelel is going to Na'am, but here we have other way. As it was here, Na'ar before, yeah, exactly. it's going to be a Na'ar in the future. Yes, you're right. And then he's a Yelel. Um, maybe, maybe it fits with Rashi saying he's ill. So he's a Na'ar lacking power. Maybe that's Shat and Yelid. I don't know. Just a, a, a thought. Yes. Um, why, why is Hayyelid and Amash doesn't talk about it? But in his interpretation, it's on the shoulder. Why is that after? Why didn't it say, by Kach, Lechem, Bechanat, Naim, Veta, Yelid, by Veten Al Hagav? Is that significant at all, the order of the Pasuk? Um, I, I, I hesitate for answering that because I think that's the sort of question you can ask on every Rashi. When, when the Torah is unclear, and Rashi says this is what it means. You can always ask, well, why didn't the Torah write it that way? Does um, Rashi often give a reason, I think? Why? Or maybe not always. I don't know. I, I don't know, um, I don't know an answer to that. Uh, and I, I, I'm not sure there is an answer to that. Sure. Okay, let's do um, the finish the Pasuk. The Teilach, the Teita. She went and the Teita, she wandered or she got lost. It says Rashi, Chazra Ligulule. Beit Aviha. She returned to the idolatry of the house of her father. Now, by the way, uh, let's just talk about the uh, big spoiler. What's going to happen later to Ishmael? He's going to do teshuva. Uh, Rashi contrasts him with Esav, who doesn't do teshuva. Ishmael does. Rashi makes that point. And Rashi certainly thinks Hagar does teshuva, because Rashi says that she is also known as Keturah, and comes back as Abraham's third, which is really second wife, because Hagar and Keturah are the same. And Rashi praises Keturah as being very good. Um, that's why she's called Keturah, like Keturet. Um, so Hagar definitely does Teshuvah. But meanwhile, at this moment, says Rashi on the words, the Telech v'teta, Chazra li'gulule beit raviha. She went back to her father, who was Paro, according to Rashi, his idolatry. Um, a few things to say in the next five minutes. First of all, what does teta mean? So we've met this before, and you asked if teta with a tet, tet ayin, is related to tof ayin. So in Hebrew, in modern Hebrew, tof, uh, tet ayin means to make a mistake. Tof ayin means to lose your way. So obviously they're related, but they're, they're slightly different. According to the Academy of the Hebrew Language, they are related. The Havdil Afelofim, the Academy actually quotes the Radak in his Sefer, the Shorashim, where he looks at exactly sort of this question on roots of words, and he says they're related. So uh, it is interesting that we're probably the, the evidence of tet ayin and tof ayin are similar, but not quite the same. Here, tet, tof ayin means she got lost. So why does Rashi not understand it as literally she got lost? Why does Rashi here interpret it um, metaphorically as she became back, went back to idolatry? And you might remember, and the reason we learned about this before, is um, our Rashi disagreed with Unculus in um, in Perak Kaf, uh, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Rashi translates it, so literally, he doesn't really make a, an issue of it. So when Hashem made me wander from the house of my father, 
Onkelos there understood Hitu as Tau Amamai Batar of the Yudehen. When the nations, he puts with a tech with an iron, made a mistake after the work of their hands, otherwise the nations became idolatrous. So Iron Chum, go back to what we said about Perakarposi, you'd give all that. I'm not going to go into it now. But there, Rashi did not interpret Hitu as anything to do with idolatry, even though Unculus does. Here, Rashi says, the Telech Veteta means she went back to her idolatry. And uh, the Mephorshim seemed to say that if it meant she got lost, it would have said, she went in the desert, and then got lost. Whereas we have, but I'd like to say something perhaps what occurs to me. This is what is worth my own Kiddush. It's the juxtaposition of a that Rashi is observing. And indeed, those are the words that he's commenting on. She went, and then she got lost. They can't have the two things together. If she went, that means she went where she was going. It doesn't make sense to say she went and she got lost. Uh, they're contradictory. Unless you say that the Teta does not mean she got lost, but rather it meant she went back to her idolatrous roots. And it's also worth noting that when she near the, the, uh, the Yeled nearly dies out of thirst and the Malach appears to her and shows her a, a spring of water and everything gets okay, the Malach doesn't say, oh, and by the way, that's for you, that you take the right-hand fork there and you'll find your way home. The Malach doesn't respond to her being lost. And perhaps that's also why Rashi doesn't say that she's literally got lost. And Rashi interprets the Teta as she gets ideologically and spiritually lost rather than physically lost. So it seems to me that it's the Teilach, the Teta, which uh, doesn't make sense to say literally she went where she was going, but then she got lost because then she wouldn't be going where she was going. Uh, and it's also the case that looking ahead, the Malach doesn't put her in the right direction, implying that she wasn't lost. One more thing, and the word gilule um, is a pretty nasty um, reference to idols. There are other ways of saying idols. Galal actually is a, it's translated as dung of animals. It's like nasty, it's pretty icky. Um, and so I saw the suggestion that in the case of Hagar, it's not just that she went to idolatry, it's when she went back to idolatry after living in Avraham's house, to have lived with Avraham, to be even his concubine, the mother of his child. And after that, to go back to idolatry, that's not just bad, that's disgusting. And maybe that's why Russia uses the word gilule in this particular case. We will stop there. We'll meet again next week. Thank you, Rabbi. Good evening.